Previously on Darkwater Podcast. Police say they are only beginning their investigation into the two decomposing bodies discovered across the street from each other this week. I think the serial killer has already made a bold, risky move, or he will soon. Somebody wanted her body found right there. They wanted to let you know, hey, you do this shit right here, what she was doing, and the same damn thing that happened to her is going to happen to you. They said, I brought you here because there's so many people out there recording. I didn't want to make a spectacle of what was going on. He said, but one of the girls was your sister. She says the attacker cut Megan's hair, but her daughter couldn't see who it was. Oh, oh, that's definitely a damn signature. There, there is some some kind of organization, gang, whatever, that is causing these crimes. Those are not coincidental crimes. It, towns that size don't just uh, explode with crime. There has to be something going on in Lumberton that is causing mm-hmm. these this type of crime. International media hype would suggest a serial killer is roaming the streets of Lumberton, with origins stretching into previous unsolved disappearances, murders, and mysterious crimes. Is there truly one person responsible for these events, or something darkly complex waiting to be found? That's what we're trying to find out. Welcome to Darkwater, an investigative podcast hosted by me, Brett Andrews. And me, Nick Andrews. We're not related. So far as we know. Check out episodes one and two for a deep dive on those topics. And now, on to the next chapter. You're back with Darkwater Podcast. Welcome to this weird journey if it's your first time joining us. In previous episodes, we discussed how this podcast got started, our involvement as North Carolinians, and the town the crimes happened in. But mainly, we talked about the circumstances around discovering the bodies of Kristen Bennett and Rhonda Jones on April 18, 2017, and Megan Oxendine on June 3, 2017, all in Lumberton, North Carolina, the state's most dangerous town. We were joined by the family of one of the victims and talked to forensic scientist Dr. Marie Godwin about the cases. We also covered very specific details, some raising concern from the official autopsy and investigative reports. All the women knew or knew of each other in some capacity. Kristen was found in an abandoned home wrapped up in a blanket inside a TV cabinet. And Rhonda was found upside down in the trash can with her foot hanging out on the same April morning, just hours apart. Both were nude and so decomposed, a cause of death could not be determined. Megan spoke to a local news station the day Rhonda and Kristen were found. She had, at some point, been in the abandoned home the day Kristen's body was found, accompanying another man that was smoking crack. Sometime after the TV interview, Megan was attacked, and her hair was also cut. Unfortunately, she became the next victim when found blocks up the road from where Kristen and Rhonda were discovered. She had some cloth stuffed in her mouth, and she was under shingles and branches in a defense position. The Lumberton Police, Robinson County Sheriff's Department, the North Carolina SBI, and FBI have been working to find out what happened to the women with no definitive lead so far that we know of. With theories and rumors of serial killers, organized crime, and even police involvement running wild in the news, go back and check out episodes one and two for all that and more.
Cynthia Jacobs, a.k.a. Twister, a woman we haven't talked a lot about so far. She's essentially a ghost in terms of when exactly she disappeared at some point in East Lumberton in July of 2017. We know she was close to at least Rhonda Jones and apparently was the last person to see Megan Oxendine alive. She hasn't received a lot of media attention, but she was incredibly close to these cases and the women, literally and figuratively. We're learning that more and more. I think Cynthia's my It's rumored that a man in East Lumberton, who has essentially evaporated, held Cynthia's shoes and bank card. He lived in extremely close proximity to where the other women were found. For now, we'll refer to him simply as L. This theory is brought to you by a Facebook group full of local North Carolina sleuths called True Justice Warriors. Cynthia was in a failed rehab stint in Durham, North Carolina shortly before returning to Lumberton, being jailed for drug use and then released and then disappearing. Rhonda was in Greensboro in a similar pattern before she returned to Lumberton and met her fate months earlier. You know, it's obviously tragic enough that rehab didn't work out, but then on top of it, one ends up dead, one goes missing. Here's a tragic and mysterious Facebook post from one of Cynthia's relatives. Cynthia Jacobs is my fiancé's sister, and we've been everywhere looking for her. There's an older couple that lives in Fairmont that we were told by several people that this couple locks her in a room and lets her out at the first of the month. Then we were told about a man named L that took her in and feeds her, washes her clothes. So we went to his house and found Cynthia's shoes and asked him about them and Cynthia. He denies knowing her and he has her social security bank card. He admitted to us about that. Yet when the detectives talks to this man, he denies everything. In June, Megan went missing. Cynthia was the last person to be with Megan. There has to be a connection somewhere with the three deceased and Cynthia. Remember, Megan was interviewed by the news and told some of what was happening. The last contact we had with Cynthia was in April and May, and she mentioned a man named Jay has been taking care of her. So he looked into his back, I assume they mean background, in April, and come to find out he was pimping her and two other girls. We took her in and took care of her in May. Her lifestyle is very different from ours, and she thanked us for giving her a room of her own, a TV, and a bed. But she said, I love you, brother. I love you, mama. But my home is on the streets with my girls. Lord knows how much we love and miss Cynthia and want her home. And again, that was a reading of a verbatim Facebook post from someone in Cynthia Jacobs' family. Here's where things start to weave together. As we said, Cynthia was the last person to see Megan alive. So did the same men know the other women, L or J? This is at least one local theory. But before you get too wrapped up in that one, there are others just as convincing and heartfelt, at least in the amount they're repeated in the community. Some even say that Cynthia was found long ago and the truth was covered up, out behind a Pepsi plant. Who knows at this point? For every neighborhood in Lumberton, to every Facebook group and Reddit thread, there's a different story. Is this the result of overconfident neighbors and sleuths playing the telephone game, or are these actually legitimate leads being pursued? We know in fact some have been reported to law enforcement. I have to admit, I'm inclined to believe somewhere in these theories there has to be some bit of truth. In a town where people end up dead and missing all the time, it's hard for me to see what people have to gain by sticking their own necks out for justice. 
But there's a bond in Robeson County over these cases, so much so the locals, headed by Sheila Price and Sherlyn Whitaker, Rhonda Jones' mom and sister, whom we interviewed, started an awareness group that's becoming increasingly more legitimate called Shatter the Silence. To their credit, Police Chief Michael McNeil and Sheriff Bernice Wilkins are even helping facilitate a spring march to the police station, planned by the group in memory of the murdered and missing in Robeson County. So after Cynthia's disappearance, it wouldn't be until September 5th, 2017, that a new woman went missing in East Lumberton. Elevating these cases into the national, really international spotlight. But why? Well, because the other women were addicts and sex workers, this new person was a young white woman from Lumberton, yes with addiction issues herself, but considered by most in the community to be a far cry from the other women as far as lifestyle and because she didn't know them. She was also the daughter of a local judge. In a sense, embellished reporting or not, because of the reaction our society gives to the words serial killer, Abby Patterson's disappearance elevated the cases of all the women from the lesser dead to the international spotlight. Crime writer David Lohr goes so far to point out the possible connection in all these 2017 events in Lumberton with unsolved murders nearly a decade ago in the same area that are equally as perplexing, also involving women with ties to addiction and sex work in Lumberton. We'll be covering that later and exploring how viable, or not, that idea might be. In an FBI press conference focused on the women found in the spring, Abby Patterson was also brought up. Isn't there um, a, one girl who's still missing, um, Abby, Pat- Abby Patterson? Is there any indication that her disappearance might be linked to any of these deaths? Uh, we don't have anything that would link those to Gabby. Abby Lynn Patterson was last seen leaving her home here on East 9th Street a year ago today. Questions persist about potential connections between her and the other women. Some people think they're all connected. Connected. Here's a clip of Abby Patterson's mom, Samantha Lovett, speaking on the case. Someone out there knows something. And I just need to find that person that's going to break their conscience and and just tell us where she's at. Her name was Abby Patterson, a 20-year-old addict and more importantly a loved family member, just out of rehab in Charlotte, North Carolina, then to a transitional home in Jacksonville, Florida, before returning to her family in Lumberton, where she ultimately disappeared. Her mother is a judge for the Robinson County Board of Elections. They had just enjoyed an awesome day at the beach before she vanished. Needless to say, despite her addiction issue, Abby's background is somewhat of a departure from the other women. This leads many to completely discount her disappearances being related to the disappearances of Cynthia and the deaths of Kristen, Rhonda, and Megan. However, Abby disappeared on East 9th Street, just blocks away from where the other girls were found. And while she didn't know them, I wonder if they could be linked through their drug source. Yeah, it's only so big as a community. We talked a lot about how much that black market economy has been running Robinson County in the past, even creeping into their institutions and corrupting them. And it doesn't seem a lot has changed so far. It's a town of only 21,000 roughly, and it seems local families have been quite ingrained in that small community and its operations for some time. Some even refer to it as the Pembroke Mafia. Scandal-ridden and corrupt authority figures in Robinson County, Pembroke is just a town down the road from Lumberton. But there's a case there, and we'll be discussing in coming episodes.
So anyway, here's what happened the day of, as we understand it. Abby's disappearance. The morning of Tuesday, September 5th, 2017, at roughly 11.30 a.m., Abby got into a brown Buick down the road from her mother, Samantha Lovett's home on East 9th Street in Lumberton, and took off. That was almost the last time anyone has seen her since. The man in the Buick was simply referred to by police as an acquaintance in reports. So far, they won't confirm or deny that the man is the person of interest, nor will they confirm or deny any potential connections between Abby and Kristen, Rhonda, Megan, or even Cynthia. Terry Parker, the captain of the Lumberton Police Investigative Division, whom we discussed in episode two somewhat, at first said they couldn't confirm Abby's actions after departing from near her mother's home, but later press confirmed that police actually knew who she went with and where she was dropped off. But they declined to say where. Local sleuths from the Facebook group True Justice Warriors have submitted to us an identity for the man in the Buick, but for now we can't confirm definitely ourselves. And in addition to the man and their earlier theory, we don't want to casually throw his name out there. We'll say for now that the story we've been given is checking out and we'll continue to work on it. Her mom received a text after saying she left home and she'd be gone for an hour. Initially, it was reported that she said that in person. So part of me thinks, can we be sure Abby sent the text? One hour gives someone a lot of time. Abby's mom has thus not responded to our messages reaching out for an interview. Please know you're in our thoughts and let us know if you'd like to speak. Dr. Maurice Godwin, who's been helping us in how we approach thought on these cases, had a few things to say, especially about the geography of the deaths and disappearances when considered collectively. Another thing that you going, you're looking here now, that, that I, I developed this, because there's always, uh, in the past, is always talking about a circular geographical profiling. The crimes will be laid out in a circular pattern. And um, years ago, I discovered that, that they won't. They laid out in a triangular pattern the shape of a windshield wiper. You know, on a car, when the windshield wipers yeah. go back and forth with the dirt on there. Yeah, the surface area. Yeah, whatever. that's right. Yeah. The, the windshield wiper effect is what I call it. And, and that, that's what basically you have here is a windshield wiper effect. If you draw... If you draw a line from Rhonda up through Megan and and keep going up there uh, straight uh, high enough that it covers uh, goes past Abby and d then draw the line through Abby over to the right hand side and bring it back down to, to past Christina back to Rhonda you have a windshield wiper effect I've got 80% probability that the killer lives within that triangle in the DC sniper case. But uh, but th it does suggest that it's likely that he lives within the triangle area. Or when I say live, I don't, it means that he has an affinity for someone, were a family member, a girlfriend, or something within that triangle area. Either lives there I bet, a, I bet, I bet, that's right. Or has a variable from his life that keeps him there often. That's right. Okay. That's right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And now, you know, just out of curiosity, going back to the idea about FBI response, with that 20 years of experience you mentioned, why do you think they would not be applying that same 
mentality. Because they don't they don't use it. They don't use it. Yeah. That's not a standard procedure for them. Okay. No, no, no. They don't use it. The FBI and Lumberton Police Department have drained and searched two local ponds for Abby. They're near a vacant home off Alamac Road, based on potential leads. That happened in July of 2018. Perhaps it's not the greatest sign, but we hope she's still out there, only missing. The FBI is offering $10,000 for information leading them to Abby. If Abby is connected to the other women, and we knew where she was, if unfortunately deceased or not, as a fifth victim, it would be worth exploring a connection to the other women. There's an FBI plurality study about killers usually being close to the fifth victim. I wonder if it's because by the time they're onto the fifth victim, they're rather confident or in their horrific groove. And again, that's solely on the premise that Abby is connected and the fifth victim in this string of events. But we just thought that was worth mentioning. Dr. Godwin is skeptical if the FBI is even using geographical profiling in these cases, specifically concerning the idea that he mentioned earlier, the windshield wiper pattern. So what do you think would be a more modern approach to the behavioral science? Yeah, there's no modern approach. No modern approach. No. Still being developed, people are still... Being developed? No, they're stuck in the, the, the mine hunter with John Douglas. That's kind of, that's the forefront of that thought. They're stuck in the mine hunter days of John Douglas. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that this individual is scared of being apprehended? Uh, at least not in uh, the aftermath. Well, of the no, no there's not but one word. No. 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 And he's not. And and so as long as he's not afraid, he's going to continue to do what he's going to do is kill kill and as long as he is not afraid of where he's killing and getting his victims from he's going to do and continue to do it in Lumberton, North Carolina. Now here's another thing is he's probably killed other places too. So someone that's carved a very sloppy violent path that's just going to keep going? I mean there are similar situations in like Rocky Mount and like yeah. that's right. just areas along 95. But this, this the killer of these victims is bold cocky and arrogant so I think he's uh, I think that he has already done it or he will in the future make a bold more bold attempts to come out and do more uh, take take more risk and risk and risk to, to carry out the crime because because see he said these fools don't even know who I am man they're not even no closer catching me and look it's been all these years patterson is white has brown hair brown eyes is about five feet seven inches tall and weighs 140 pounds she has a bird tattoo on her shoulder and a dark birthmark on the back of her left thigh she was last seen wearing a white shirt and brown shorts that case there could be the linchpin to the other four Here's an update on our contact with law enforcement and journalists in Robinson County so far. All law enforcement has been very cordial. However, no one in the Lumberton Police Department has agreed to speak with us regarding these cases, including Terry Parker, captain of the investigative division, and Chief Michael McNeil. In addition, contact with the Sheriff's Department has been coming up short on gaining any insight from Sheriff Bernice Wilkins. 
However, he does seem to be a ray of light in the community for some, with his focus on cold cases and taking direct action to remedy the issues in Robinson County. But time will only tell on the result. But he's been keeping busy so far and quite active in the community. So as far as this group goes, we'd love a chance to hear all of your perspectives and all your contributions to this narrative. We can't do it without you. Agreed. And just to be balanced, switching back to a focus on the police department briefly, I know firsthand that the communication between the Lumberton Police Department and the FBI hasn't been the most transparent, at least on one occasion. Apparently there was a meeting where it was realized by family members that the Lumberton Police Department didn't find certain information relevant, not enough to be passed along to the FBI. This is straight from the family interview, but I won't comment further for now. Editor of the Robisonian, T.C. Hunter, a staunch critic of the idea Abby is linked to the other women, has formally declined to be interviewed or interact with the podcast or the future documentary in any manner. Which is totally his prerogative, perhaps. He will let us know if he changes his mind. While Rhonda's family has been the only to speak with us, we'd like to offer this invitation to the family members and friends of Kristen, Megan, Abby, and Cynthia as well. If we can help share your perspective and come a little closer to justice by starting a discussion on these cases, please let us know. And we've got a phone number you can use to speak with us anonymously. It'll be mentioned at the end of the episode, as well as the other ways to contact us. As promised in episode two, we've been covering local theories, including the one we're about to share from a Facebook group, Murder, Mystery, Mayhem, Robinson County, North Carolina. I've been speaking with someone associated with them who claims to be very acquainted with the cases and acquired this info from a local source. Please keep in mind, this, for now, is just a theory. We won't be mentioning specific names, but I can say the people referenced are real, with quite the criminal records. Nick and I debated the ethics of sharing this theory, as well as others, and decided on our current system. We're going to replace the actual names in the local theory with letters, for now. Here it is, word for word. Bear with me. We know there are times when we get it wrong from our recliners, but there are times we do get it right. Today I received a call from a person asking if we could talk to someone who had information regarding the deaths of Rhonda Jones, Kristen Bennett, and Megan Oxendine. I will call this person X. I called X and X informed me of the following. X told me that they have information regarding the girls' murders. They told me that they contacted Lumberton Police Department on a number of occasions regarding their tip. LPD told them they will send officers to take their statements. LPD didn't follow up on the tip. X also contacted the Robinson County Sheriff's Office on a number of occasions and asked to talk to the sheriff. Messages were taken, but the sheriff did not return any of the calls. I will say this, it is possible that the sheriff never received the messages, but it is also possible the sheriff chose not to return the call. We don't know. Rhonda and Kristen. X told me the following, Rhonda and Kristen were killed by O and another person that I will call B. They told me that both O and B were high on heroin one night and were bragging about killing Rhonda and Kristen. They told me that the hit was ordered and paid for by S and P. They told me the hit was ordered because the girls had stolen drugs from S. The other day, we posted about being told the feds were at the jail where O is being held. We were told they questioned him regarding Bennett's clothing that had been found at his house, with his DNA on it. Obviously, we posted this before we knew about what we were told today. Megan Oxendine X told me the following. 
Megan was raped and killed by E. E has a long history of violent crimes, including kidnapping, forcible rape, child abuse, and breaking and entering with dangerous weapons. The person also told me that E was raping a girl, I will call Y. Y was being raped over and over. E could no longer perform, so he tied Y up and left to go get himself a magic pill. While he was on his trip, Twister was in the area. And again, that's Cynthia Jacobs. Twister was in the area when she heard sounds coming from the abandoned house where Y was being held. Twister found Y and helped her escape. Twister is now missing. The point of this post is to let the public know that a person has indeed reached out to help law enforcement, but law enforcement had not followed up with any of it. We know there are members here who are in touch with the sheriff. We ask members to screenshot this post and put it out where you can. Both the Lumberton Police Department and the Sheriff's Department need to explain why the tipper was not contacted. They cannot say the calls weren't made because digital footprints don't lie. I'm reaching out to the tipper and advising them directly to the FBI. And again, that was all a verbatim post from the person in that Facebook group, and it does not necessarily represent or confirm any research on the part of Nick and I. This comment was later deleted from the official law enforcement pages in Lumberton when it was shared by the locals. An argument also ensued between Sheriff Wilkins and the original poster regarding some of the claims. For now, it's unclear as how we can verify that information until we get in touch with the original tippers, which we're trying to do. Remember how we mentioned the possibility of a female-to-female insult regarding Megan's hair being cut for sure, and maybe Rhonda's as well in episode two? Well, this female drug dealer referred to as S in this local theory supposedly has a proclivity for cutting hair. So was it more of a vindictive action all along versus the traditional serial killer trophy? Maybe. And if you're thinking this out there, we agree. This is super complicated, and we're trying to sort it out just like you are now, probably. Here's a list of big questions growing since the previous two episodes. Why was the blanket Kristen was found in disposed of at the request of law enforcement at the medical examiner's office in Raleigh, North Carolina? Was Rhonda's hair cut just like Megan's? Was Rhonda killed for stealing drugs from that local drug dealer, S? Was Megan killed for being in the home where Kristen was found? Speaking to the media, or both? Is Cynthia's disappearance related to their deaths? Is Abby tied to all these events, or not? And where did she go in the Brown Buick on that hot September day before she disappeared? There's people out there that know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Darkwater Podcast. If you have information, theories, or questions regarding the cases, local or not, reach out to us on the official Darkwater Hotline, 919-307-9331. That's 919-307-9331. Or email us at darkwaterpod at gmail.com. Darkwaterpod at gmail.com. There will be future Q&A episodes you can potentially be featured on if you reach out. Anonymity and discretion will be respected if that's an issue especially if you're a local in Lumberton or Robinson County. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us wherever you listen to your podcast. 
We research, write, record, and produce this podcast ourselves on a bi-weekly basis. Music by Moonside Sound.